The text for the sermon this day is taken from Philippians 1, verse 7, where it writes, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. This is the text. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So back at the beginning of the pandemic, I got sucked in to a little social certain app known as TikTok, which for those you don't know, it's, a, it's an app filled with videos that are three minutes or less. And there's one particular set of videos that I kind of got engaged in are these videos where people watch a movie or a TV show and they react to them. So, for example, I was watching one where this girl, she's just watching through these, old, these movies that she has never seen before and reacting to them. And so she's videoing the movie and her own reaction. And so as I was watching it, she was watching The Lord of the Rings for the very first time. Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King. I could not help but feel a little envious. Because for those of you who don't know, that's pretty much my favorite movie trilogy. I know, surprise, it's not Star Wars, but it is Lord of the Rings. But I, I've seen it so many times. Part of me is envious of the experience of being able to watch it all over again without knowing what's going to happen. Knowing nothing. And just taking in every little bit and wondering where the story would unfold. And it made me begin to think, wouldn't it be nice if we could do that with the Gospels? To do that with the story of the, the fullness of the life of Jesus Christ? Where we could read it and take the joy in as it unfolds before us? Now it's kind of weird to speak about joy because next Sunday is the Sunday of joy. Hence that's when that rose candle will be lit. But, well, it's okay to talk a week early, and it's right in this epistle lesson, to speak of that joy of hearing the gospel. The unexpectedness, when you think of the, fact, the idea of a 13 to 15-year-old girl getting the news that she would be pregnant with a child who would be the savior of the world. Imagine just... Wouldn't it be nice to be able to hear that, interesting to hear that again, and hear that afresh and actually think and take to heart, this is a 13 to 15 year old girl. We have a few girls here that are 13 to 15. I imagine your life would be very changed if you suddenly found out you were pregnant. And quite stressful. And Mary takes it in, doesn't debate. She doesn't say, ah, I can't do this. She says, let it be. Or to read about, as you go farther, you read about the life of this child who would be named Jesus, and read as he preaches his sermons, preach about preaching parables. And then when he had 5,000 people, not, not including the women and children, he has to figure out how to feed them. Now, you're probably struggling to figure out how to feed everybody for, thanks, for Christmas. 
Imagine trying to feed 5,000 people, and all you have is five loaves of bread and two fish. And you're probably sitting, would be sitting there thinking, I can't, cut, I can't get that small of a fraction. And yet he feeds them, and when he's done, he has more left over than he began with. Would it be great to be able to read that and filled with the awe of hearing that all over, just how incredible that is? Or the incredibleness of when they're out on the sea and they're out, they're making difficult trying to get across and they look out onto the water and there's this guy walking on it. And it's not in the middle of the winter. It's Jesus. Or when he's, on, he's in the boat and there's a huge storm. And they tell Jesus, say to Jesus, are you, are you not worried that we'll perish? And he wakes up, and pretty much the way to put it literally is when he, what he said to the storm is he told the storm, shut up. Now, I don't know, but we live in Iowa, and you know I've had some pretty loud thunder in the middle of the night when I'm trying to get a, get a good night's rest. I'm pretty certain if I went out onto the deck and said, storm, shut up, it's not going to listen. But when Jesus did that, it listened. It obeyed. We hear that so many times. Do we lose the wonder of what he did? When we go all the way to Holy Week, or just say more specifically to the Garden of Gethsemane, He's praying in such agony that his sweat is becoming like drops of blood. And this Judas, who you've heard a few times mentioned as you read through the Gospels, he comes to Jesus. He's leading a battalion of soldiers to betray him. And he doesn't just go like, hey, that's the guy. He just points to him. No, he chooses a kiss. A universal sign of love and affection, that is the means by which he chooses to portray this Jesus. And when Jesus is arrested, the disciples try to fight back, even cutting off the ear of Malchus, the servant. And Jesus tells them to put the sword away, and he doesn't leave Malchus alone. Instead, he takes his hand, puts it to where the where the ear should be, and gives him a new ear. Would you realize, if you're Malchus, you realize how messed, how messed with your head? Your ear is on the ground, but now you have another ear right there. That would probably mess with you a little bit. And he went, he went, went before the Sanhedrin. Imagine reading them for the first time and hearing as... They're shouting accusations against him, bearing false witness, coming up with all these sorts of stories in order to convict him to death. And that Jesus would keep saying nothing. It's not until they ask him plainly, are you the Christ, that he speaks. And Peter, Peter, you heard about him a whole bunch throughout the Gospels. He's asked, Aren't you one of them? And he says, I don't know the man. Three times. 
He denies that he even knows Jesus. We hear that so many times. It's so well known even among secular culture. Imagine reading that again with fresh eyes, with fresh ears. And when he's flogged, after Pilate had tried to do everything he could to let Jesus free, he even gave the choice between Barabbas, who is basically a sociopath, and Jesus, who is meek and mild, and who did they choose? The sociopath. They're that determined to have Jesus be killed. Pilate sent him to be flogged, which you probably have to pull up Google to find out what it means to be flogged. And go Google, you look it up and find out what it is, and you realize just how excruciating of suffering that Jesus went through. The crown of thorns, the purple robe, his blood, the blood just pouring from his body. His body would basically look like, look like hamburger meat. And then struggling to carry that cross. And it's in the Gospel of John we have the detail to let us know that he had nails in his hands and his feet, which not every crucifixion involved nails. And you'd read about how he's hanging there on the cross, slowly dying. He would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He would say to another thief on the cross, he'd tell him, you will be with me in paradise. Such love and compassion, even as he is dying and agonizing, unjust death. And the sorrow of hearing him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Drawing that last breath and dying. And the only person in that place that would acknowledge who he is was the soldier overseeing his execution who said, truly, this is the Son of God. Imagine reading that for the first time and sitting there wondering and realizing there's more to the Scripture. We're not at the end of this. There's a few more chapters. You probably might be sitting there thinking, oh, it must be the afterlife with, you know, what's going to be Peter's life afterwards? Is he going to take up a new career? You know, what, what did this person do afterwards? If you didn't know, and you're reading this all afresh, you just think it's probably some afterthought. But no, you read about the women coming to the tomb and finding that it's empty. And you're, you'd be sitting there thinking, this is in modern day, if there's, you know, whatever this new TV show, like think of something like, I know I'm gonna feel I feel old that this is 20 years ago, but like when the show Lost came out, every week people are wondering what is this, what's this, um, or right now on Disney Plus it's Hawkeye if you're a Marvel fan, but you're wondering who is this person, who's this thing, and there's all these discussions all over the internet, who is this person, what's gonna happen, all people are wondering, or for those of you who are older. Who shot J.R.? Anybody know that one? You're wondering who it is. Wondering where is the body? Why is it moving? Maybe one of those Roman soldiers took him. Maybe somebody's, they're just trying to mess with those people who believed he'd rise from the dead. Or maybe it was grave robbers. 
They existed even back then. And when the disciples came and they saw that the body was missing and there was a cloth folded up, and then you know it wasn't a robber, but you still don't know where the body is. And so Mary is sitting there next to the tomb, weeping. You could almost feel the sorrow that she feels. And John kind of gives a spoiler. If you don't know what a spoiler is, whenever you, a spoiler is whenever somebody tells you the end to a story. But John kind of gives a spoiler and says, the gardener comes up and she does, it's Jesus, but she thinks it's the gardener. Imagine if John just said, it's just, she thought it was the gardener. And he says, do you, why are you weeping? And if you're reading this for the first time, it's like, why do you think she's weeping? She's right next to a tomb. People, this is where dead people are. This is, of course you're going to be weeping. And then imagine the joy of reading for the first time when he says, Mary. And she knows right away it is Jesus. And she jumps and says, Rabboni. And one of the wonderful details of the Greek text is it says that Jesus tells her to stop clinging to her, which means that when she basically, it's kind of like when a soldier comes back from home, comes back home with a surprise, you see those videos, and they don't know they're coming home. What does the loved one do? They run and they hold on like ever so tight. And that's where, I imagine that's what Mary must have been doing when Jesus, she realized Jesus had risen from the dead. Imagine reading that fresh all over again. Sometimes we want that joy, that, that emotion. And even the reality. Why does he do all of it? Why is he born of Mary? Why does he preach those parables? Why did he feed the 5,000, walk on water, calm the storm? Why was he crucified, died, buried, risen from the dead? He did it all for you. Now you might, if you're reading this for the first time, you'd be thinking, well, why would I, why do I need it? Well, because you're a sinner. What does it mean that you're a sinner? Well, the word sin literally means that you miss the mark. In other words, God has a design. He has structured the world. He has structured you to live in a specific way. And every time when you go against that design, that is called sin or missing the mark. And sometimes we want to convince ourselves that we are not so bad. Well, again, I go to a TikTok video I came across. And this is a video of an evangelist, or an apologist, sorry. An apologist is somebody who their job is to defend the Christian faith. And an individual asked him, how could you make excuse, how could you believe in God when something like the Holocaust happened? Why did he not stop it? Why did he stop it like he did those things that happened in the Old Testament? Well, there's a few problems with that question. The first problem is, is that in the Old Testament, God didn't always stop it. We read that he let the people of Israel go into exile. We read that he let them live in slavery for several hundred years. 
He didn't always stop it. The second problem is if the answer is to be an atheist, if you're an atheist, that means you have no reason, no good reason, to believe in any sort of morality. You cannot say anything is evil or anything is wrong because there's no such thing if you are a 100% consistent atheist, especially if you hold to the evolutionary worldview. Because evolution says at the core is survival of the fittest. Why does someone die? Because they were weak from the evolutionary worldview. So when it comes to the Holocaust, if you are a 100% consistent evolutionist, then you cannot be any more upset at the Holocaust than you are that they have black hair or brown eyes. It's just the way it is, if you're consistent. But you won't find anybody saying, well, the Holocaust, it was an immoral, there's no such thing. Everybody knows it was evil, it was wicked. When a mass shooting happens, such as what we had in Michigan this past week, or school shooting, nobody says, well, it, it, those kids were just weak. Everybody looks at it like that's horrific. We all have some sense of morality. But here's the thing with the Holocaust. It did, God did end it. In case you don't know, it's not going on anymore. It did end. And there's some that have even argued that historically, people wonder if God made Hitler a little foolish, just a foolish enough to make sure it didn't last longer. But then there is the also the other thing, is the Holocaust is the reminder of how wicked we really are. Think about it. It wasn't just one person that did that. It was an entire nation of Germans. How many of you are German? Have German blood? Here, see the commonality? And by the way, every group, every ethnic group, if you go through the history, you will find something ugly and nasty. People talk about how we conquered the Native Americans. Nobody talks about how those tribes conquered other tribes. Slavery was a horrible thing in the history of our country. Nobody talks about is where did those slaves get purchased from? They are already being enslaved in Africa. Every group, every person, with the right circumstances, with the right convincing, could be led to allow for or even act out horribly, horrific, evil things. That is how deep our sinful nature is. That is why you need a Savior. That is why what happened that Jesus did, yes, it isn't new to us. We hear it over and over again. And the truth still remains the truth every time you hear it, that this still happened for you. Jesus still died for you, a lost and condemned creature. He paid for you, purchased you, redeemed you. 
with his blood, that you may be his, holy and innocent, blameless. He did it all for you because you needed it. And this is coming back to this text. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of, with me of grace. Do you ever think about how much grace is poured out every single time you come here? I mean, think about it. We have ushers, and our ushers do not play the role of bouncer. What I mean is that they don't go like, oh, sorry, we have enough sinners in here. We can only forgive so many people this week. Sorry, you got to... There's this guy that just came in, and we know he's a really big sinner. Nobody else is let in. Or we don't say, well, only one time a year, once a year, can you get forgiveness, like Black Friday. Once a year, you're going to get a special deal. No, every single time you come. You ever think about how many times an individual sins in a given week? Now, don't raise your hands and say, oh, I got 25. Don't worry, you probably have more than that. You ever think about every single one of us, when you start to add it up, and you think about when you come up here, and this is just incredible extravagance of what happens every time, why we can think so joyously of the grace that we all partake in. You come up to the altar, and that bread, and I've talked about this before, but that bread, it's, it, it's bread. Does it represent the body? No, it is the body of Jesus. That wine, it is wine, but does it represent the blood of Jesus? No, it is the blood of Jesus when you receive it. And in it, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You think about the absolute showering of the grace of God every time you come to this altar. How, many, how much sin there is every single time, and God does not say, ah, I ran out. And by the way, even if we run out of communion, we got stuff in the back. So that even, we got plenty of that. He never says, ah, you've been forgiven. There's, that's too much. He forgives every last sin. What a reason to rejoice. To always be joyful. To always be glad for whenever we have all of us gathered here. Every single time we gather, it is joyous. Because it is such a pleasure and wonder to share in this grace. It is a pleasure as a pastor to proclaim this grace, to give this wondrous gift to you. What a joy it is to be here. What a joy it is to be partakers of this infinite and unexpressive I don't know how far we can say it, this grace that is beyond measure. To Jesus be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith, a life everlasting. Amen.